This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-WY-Giving. Last week, we covered like the first five paragraphs of chapter four, which is verses one through seven. So we're going to jump right into verse eight. That's the sixth paragraph. Verse eight, where Paul says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I want to take this paragraph and we'll split it into two parts, okay? Because there's a couple different things that we want to look at. So finally, brethren, this is, his ad this is one of his closing admonitions here in his letter to the church at Philippi. He says, brethren, whatsoever things are true, and that's the first of a, a, a litany of things that he tells us as believers to focus on and to think on and to meditate on. We are creatures who naturally meditate. Did you know that? We really are. We naturally do that. And it's not always in a positive way. In fact, quite often, usually even, uh, depending on how you're wired up, uh, usually we tend to focus on things only in a negative way. We think on some happy things, but then when there's a problem in our life, well, then that's the principle of, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease or the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. We've heard a number of metaphors for that sort of thing. We are... I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's part of our our psychology that developed as a result of the fall into sin. I, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but if it is, it's like in every single human culture ever that we tend to focus and obsess on problems, things that are uncomfortable or are painful or that are not rightly aligned in our lives, and so we tend to think about those. That's and it causes it causes a lot of problems. It causes stress. It causes anxiety. It causes lack of sleep and things like that. But what Paul tells us to do here in these uh, in these first two this first verse of this paragraph is to he doesn't say not to think on the bad things, but he does tell us to think on these good things and not from a naive. Pollyanna rose-colored glasses type of approach of someone who's never encountered any kind of hardship in their life. Remember who Paul was writing to? Adults who were also Christians. These were the Christians of the church in Philippi. So these weren't children that, that he was trying to protect from, uh, from the, the uncomfortable, dangerous things of the world. It's like, we lost that a long time ago, didn't we? Everybody in here is an adult, I think, except Brooklyn. He's telling us to think on these particular things so that we're not obsessing on the, all of the things that are wrong or bad or negative. And you have to remember, this was the early church. And the early church was born and forged in the fires of persecution and in the fires of competition. It's not like the church today. We face different things. We face some of the same things in the church in America today. But as far as like real persecution, we are only beginning 
We are only beginning to see the very, very, very tip of that iceberg in our country with these things that, we're, that we've been hearing about in the last few years, lawsuits against the Christian baker or the Christian florist or the Christian this or the Christian that because he doesn't want to bake a cake or make a flower arrangement uh, for a couple of people that aren't within howling distance of salvation and are living a reprehensible life. So we're just beginning to see a little bit of that. But in other countries throughout the world, they're facing the real thing. They're facing the, the very real thing. And in these early years of the Christian church, the Christian church was very much in competition with every other native or indigenous religion that was still active in the regions where, they were, where, where the church was just beginning to get a real foothold. Philippi was not a Jewish city. So it's not like they were there trying to convert Jews. It was a Gentile city. And there were other religions that were at work there too. And those religions were frequently hostile to Christianity because Christianity is, praise God, thoroughly exclusivist, aren't we? You know what I mean by that? All right. Any group that claims that it has the truth and the only truth in all of it is an exclusivist group. Well, guess what? So that sounds like a cult. Well, it does, and a lot of them are. But Christianity, as per the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christianity has the truth and all of it. So well, that sounds like something that a cult would say. Maybe so, but Jesus said it. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So our Lord himself made this exclusivist. Our Lord himself made it very clear that Everyone that ever came before him was, what was the, what was the names that he used? What was the labels that he used to describe every guru, every religious teacher that came before him was a thief and a robber. Isn't that what he said? Let's look at it because I'm getting uncertain looks. So we want to be certain. John 10 verse 8. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Okay, so that makes it pretty exclusive. He didn't say, I am one of the doors. And say, I'm one, and Buddha's another one. And in a few hundred years, this guy named Muhammad's going to come along. He's going to be another door. You know, he didn't say that. He made it very clear that he was the only door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me, if any man shall enter in, etc. So it is exclusivist. But to get back to our text, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, whatsoever things are lovely and are of a good report, and if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is the admonition. Why? To keep our minds off the things that are not good that we cannot fix or change. Does that make, does that make sense? So to obsess upon things that are bad, I know that's our natural inclination, it, you know, like a rock in your shoe. It's like, that's like the only thing you feel when you're walking. You don't feel the cool breeze that's nice. You don't feel the warm sun uh, that keeps you from freezing. You don't, uh, you don't feel or you don't, you don't pay much attention to the good things that are around you. Why? Because there's one rock in your shoe and our brains are programmed to obsess on the one thing that is not right, on the one dysfunctional thing that is going wrong. And so he tells us here, don't do that in the spiritual. So you got problems in your life. Well, I don't know anybody who doesn't, first of all, okay? Now, some people's problems are huge. They're absolutely crushing. Some people's problems are very, very small. But as we've recently said, you know, 
never belittle someone else's problems because no problem is small to the person that has them. Okay, those aren't real problems. They don't have problems like, I got real problems. Look at my life. I got this problem. I got this problem. I got this problem. And I got this problem. Oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to live through this one. And that person, they're just dealing with this. You know, it's like by comparison, it's a hangnail. Okay, maybe sure. Maybe so. But to the person that has that problem that you regard as nothing more serious than a hangnail, it's a much bigger deal to them. And it's all relative because people who are... Well, goodness, you remember when you were five years old and you wiped out on that skateboard? Or when you were nine and you biffed it on your roller skate? But, you know, you got good at it. And so, but sometimes you wiped out. How many times did you skin your knees and your elbows on a bike or a skateboard or roller skates or, or falling off the jungle gym or whatever it was? Well, to you, my goodness, that was the end of the world to you because you were only so old and you, you hadn't experienced real problems of adulthood, had you? Maybe some of you have, whether at the age of five or six, because sometimes those real problems that devastate your parents' marriage encroach on your life and they scar you, and then you've got to deal with that baggage years before you're even prepared to. Paul tells us, think on these other things over here. Okay, so you got baggage from your childhood? I understand. Think on these other things over here. Don't think on the baggage from your childhood because nobody can go back to your childhood to fix it. You can't go back to that first marriage that uh, burned to the ground for whatever reasons. And, and seldom does it ever end with one person, with any one person in that marriage completely innocent. Most of the time when a marriage crashes, there's guilt to be shared on both parties. Sometimes not, but usually so. So don't take that as an absolute. You know, but you can't go back and fix it all the time, can you? The things that, are, that haunt you from your past have to go away. Take all of this in context with Paul's earlier teaching from chapter 3 about this one thing I do. And I know we keep sort of circling back around to that. It's in, uh, it's in chapter 3, round about the fourth paragraph. It's a paragraph that begins in verse 12, ends in verse 14. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me, that was one of the prerequisites to the one thing he does, and reaching forth unto those things that are before is another prerequisite to this one thing that he does. What did he say that he does? He presses toward the mark. It is a constant, constant and everlasting goal set before us as believers to shoot for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's much verbosity, but, but all of that's there for a reason. The mark. So what's the mark? Well, it's the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. It's a, it's a proper orientation and alignment with God. It's a life lived in the light of God. It's obedience to God. It's trust in God. It is a life wholly lived in God. And when you have that, and every single one of us can have that, you know, and a lot of believers, we tend to move in and out of it, depending on the circumstances that we're in. We, we trust him so much one day, but then something new comes our way we weren't prepared to, and it kind of knocks us out of that trust until we learn to trust him in that also, until we learn that, that ultimate, if we can call it, that ultimate apostolic lesson, which is trust in God and absolutely everything, no matter what it is. And that's been coming up a lot in recent messages too. I think it was Spurgeon who said it, and I'm going to paraphrase it half to death. If you trust God for your salvation, then trust him also for your sick child. Trust him for your dying mother. Trust him for your money problems. You trust him in all of these things, even in the things that your rational mind rages against and cannot fathom how to trust anyone or anything. Trust him. Because however a situation shakes out, 
It'll be to his glory and it'll be to your benefit one way or another. Your strengthening, your edification, and as we've said many times, whatever strengthens you as an individual Christian strengthens the whole body of Christ. Now that should be a very comforting thought. And it should be. Let's move on. So he says to think on these things, things that are true as opposed to all of the lies that's in news media. Okay, so let's actually define some of this by contrast if we can. Whatsoever things are true as opposed to meditating on lies, whether it's lies in media or lies that people tell about you or lies that people tell about your church or your pastor. Think on things that are true. Think on things that are honest. Think on things that are just as opposed to unjust. Think on things that are pure. Man, if that's not a major one right there. And that's one reason why Christians continue to go through certain battles. Certain Christians go through certain battles because they do not meditate on pure things. They don't entertain pure thoughts. They, they entertain impure thoughts. And those impure thoughts create impure desires that cannot be lawfully fulfilled. And so you're just angsting yourself when you're not thinking on pure things. I understand sometimes you have to a lot of times you have to face things that aren't necessarily like that. It's not like he's telling us to, to, uh, to, to create an insular little bubble around ourselves that nothing can ever penetrate. We live in the world, so we have to cope with all of these things. But as far as what we meditate upon in our thoughts and what we dream of, of, uh, of, of seeing come into reality in our own lives, okay, let those be pure things that we think of. Let's make sure that our goals are pure. Let's make sure that our hopes and our dreams are pure and not impure. I've joked about it a lot of times. You know, you can pray, God, I want to be the most successful pimp in Cheyenne. That's not exactly a pure goal. Would we be in agreement on that? Yeah. Right. You know, I want to be the best drug dealer in all of Laramie County. It's like, well, God's not really going to bless that. That's not pure. And there's problems that come along even with entertaining that kind of thought. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, rather than having an appetite for the bottom-feeding catfish gossip that so many people love, let's not have that kind of an appetite. How about that? How about we not want to hear the dirt on uh, on anybody that we don't like or someone that we do like but we just feel so bad about ourselves in our own life that the only way we can feel better about ourselves is if someone that we envy if we find out something terrible about them oh the rabbit hole of the psychology behind all this stuff it goes really really deep and it gets awfully dark too let's how about we not be like that how about we rejoice with people that rejoice like the bible tells us to do we weep and mourn with those that weep and mourn that's called being empathetic and sympathetic right there that's that's an invaluable trait in a believer else you lose you lose a part of your humanity otherwise you know it's actually sociopathic to be unable to sympathize and empathize with others that are in a state of suffering so whatsoever things are true lovely of good report pure and just and so on and then he says if there be any virtue and if there be any praise think on these things let these be the 
the last thoughts of your day when you're lying in bed. The day's done and you're getting ready to knock out sleep. Think upon the things that, think upon the good things. Think about, think about that grown child that you have, that, you know, your son or daughter that's grown, uh, whose life is actually working out. You know, they've got a good wife or a good uh, husband or whatever it is, or they're, they're, they're successful on their job and things are going well. Think about, you know, think about your, think about your mother and father that do love you. It's like, well, my mother and father don't love me. You know, they were horrible monsters. Okay, well, then you think about someone else that does or you think on God recently came across this video on YouTube uh, this person talking about his, his particular nighttime routine he was copying from some well-known ancient um, well-known ancient figure from the Roman era uh, and, and what his evening routine was and one of the very first things that he brought up and I thought that this was cool because it translates instantly and perfectly over into the Christian experience and that was well, in the language he used was meditate on the sage. All right, well, we don't really have a sage, but we have a savior. It's even better. Sage is someone who's old and wise and knows all things, you know, whether that was your grandpa or some other historical figure that you admired. And one of the things that he did every night was he meditated on, I guess, whoever it was that he was. Well, who do we have to meditate on? The best of them all is the Lord Jesus Christ. Meditating on him. Man, when you remember that he loves us, and you remember what he gave for us, so we could even be right with God, and in a state of liberty, such as we are in, as opposed to a state of bondage or, or, or anything like that. So think on these things. Think on these things. And then in verse 9, he finishes the paragraph with this admonition. He says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard. It's funny because he says both learned and then says three things, not two. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen. He says four things. And seen in me do. Now there's another key to this right here. Okay. So it isn't just the thoughts of our mind and the meditations of our heart that he admonishes us on. But the actions that should result from that. And he puts himself forth as an example in this. He puts himself forth as an example in this. He says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul, the apostle, do. And that goes right back to Sunday morning's message, doesn't it? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we're creatures that, that kind of, I don't want to say operate in both directions. That doesn't quite make sense. But we're... We have, we're comprised, at least in part, of, of both of these things. The thoughts of our mind and the meditations of our heart, okay? The stuff that we allow to go on up here. And this is, by the way, where most successes and failures in the entire human experience come from, is what goes on up here, okay? And that's one reason why the Lord tells us so plainly in His Word and in so many places uh, to even bring our thoughts into captivity. It's like it's not enough just to obey a commandment, okay? But he wants us to even bring this stuff into captivity so that we're rightly oriented with that commandment and it's not so painful or it's even pleasurable, depending on what the situation is, to be in obedience to Almighty God. Now, obedience is something we can't ever get away from in the Christian experience. It's not a word we should be afraid of, okay? But we're comprised, at least in part, of the stuff that, that goes on between our ears, the thoughts of our mind, the intentions of our heart and all of that, and then by the resulting things that we do. And so often, though not always, so often the things that we do come from the thoughts that we're entertaining in our heads. And so we are to not only be hearers of the word, 
but to be doers of them. And when you meet someone that's actually like that, if you're already like this now, you see it at work in your own life, you may not think about it too often. You might just think that it's a happy coincidence, but it's not. There's actual spiritual mechanics involved in this sort of thing, okay? When we are doers of the word, then things tend to work out better because we are doers of the word. It's like when you got good advice from anyone and you took it and you implemented that advice and the situation worked out really well, well, it wasn't because it was a coincidence, it was because you did according to the advice that you got. It's the same way with the word of God. We used a few examples in, in Sunday morning's message about, you see people whose marriages work out beautifully, you know, and if it's a believer whose marriage is just impeccable or not impeccable, but, you know, seems to be working well and they are happy. Well, there's a reason for that. It's almost certainly because they are doers of the word in those areas of the word that tell them how a marriage and a family ought to be. Because there's a secret about the word of God, everybody. The Bible works. It works when we do it, not just when we learn about it and hear about it. And it just becomes information in our heads. When we do it, it actually works. Well, I did it and it didn't work. Okay, well, did you do it? Did you do it faithfully? And did it involve other people? And were they doing it too? Because that's something else that, you know, has to be considered also. Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, I did my marriage according to the word of God and it didn't work. Okay, well, probably because your spouse didn't do it according to the word of God. So that's on them. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why the whole marriage thing keeps coming back into my mind, but, but that's, it's, that's a, a classic example of real-world application of the Word of God. Paul says, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. In other words, let the apostle be the example in this case. He says, because Jesus was already long gone. He had died, he had risen again, he had returned to the Father, and sits at, to this day, sits, he is forever at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So what happens when sometimes we just don't translate the word very well into our mind as far as how we should live? Sometimes we need to see a living example of this stuff, actually living it and being an example of this stuff. Well, that's the person that you make your example, as far as a living example is concerned. If you see someone who is exemplary in that respect, then that's the model that you copy. And so far as that example goes, Paul was telling them to do that. Those things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. In other words, my life that you see, Paul was saying, do like I do. Do like I do. And then he says, and the God of peace shall be with you. So there's the immediate reward of that is the presence of the God of peace. And he, and he uses that phrasing for a reason. We need peace. Man, do we ever. And I know that every generation likes to say that theirs is the worst and, like, and, and the most stressful and the most busy and the most complicated of all generations that ever came before theirs. And ours is no different because, you know, we've got these glass-covered gods that we all carry in our pockets and, and money problems and, and all, uh, all this other manner of modern problems that we all face. But, but it applies to every single generation equally. Do the word and the God of peace will be with you. And when the God of peace is with you, it would stand to reason that his peace is also with you. 
And raise your hand if you don't need some peace. <laughs> Goodness, we all need it. And we all face all kinds of tidal stresses and forces in life and things that are going on. And we need as much peace as we can get. Because if the devil can rob your peace from you, he can dismantle your entire life block by block. And worse, he can get you to do it for him. Because he'll have you so strung out on anxiety and fear and desperation. And this is... So, well, how do I avoid that? I'm desperate. Okay, well, let the God of peace be with you and bring that desperation down. Because here's the thing about desperate people. Desperate people make desperate decisions. They make rash decisions. And those kinds of decisions are frequently, they may not always be, but they are frequently damaging. And that's one of those things that makes things even worse. You know what we mean? And, and there's, there's no bottom to that pit. And so, well, well, then what's the key to not falling down into that bottomless pit? Think on these things. Think on these things. Whatsoever things are good, true, pure, honest, just, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Let's think on those. And so you ever wonder why our religious text, if you will, is so huge? There's like 66 books bound up in that thing from Genesis through the Revelation, you know. And some of them are quite small, particularly in the New Testament. But some of them are absolutely huge, all right? Like the first five books of Moses, for one thing. And you know, some of the major prophets like Isaiah and the Psalms and things like that. These are big books. Do you ever wonder why we have so much divine scripture that has been revealed to us and has been preserved down through several millennia so that we can never exhaust all of it? So that you've always, always got something new to meditate on. You've always got something old to be reminded of. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And then it turns the lights on in your mind at just the right time. And it elevates you, even if just a little bit, frequently a lot. It elevates you above the clouds of your immediate circumstances. We've got a lot to think on. That is all of these things, true, honest, and just, and pure, and lovely, and of good report, and virtuous, and worthy of praise. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound, Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, this is a whole study on its own. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving